All right, it is the week of October 17th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick O'Jay, and today we're going to talk about a change to the UFC Athlete Code of Conduct around gambling. So, big announcement came this past week, seemingly out of nowhere from the UFC, but it makes a lot of sense in regards to how athletes, friends and family, those within the UFC and adjacent to the UFC can actually bet on fights. We'll break down why that change was made and what the implications of that are. Then we're going to talk about the UFC's new announced partnership with Meta. So last FBP, we talked about what was going on with Zuckerberg, you know, closing down the event and what I knew in that regard. Now we have an official announcement regarding the UFC and Meta with fights to be held in the metaverse. LFA recently just had a fight in the metaverse. Mixed reaction to that. We're going to break down from a business perspective. Does it make sense to do this? What's the real gain here? Uh, what's the exposure to the UFC, to Meta? We'll we'll talk about that in depth here. And last but not least, we need to talk about Dana White's new slap fighting league in a good deal, bad deal segment. This is an interesting move. Uh, you have the Nevada Athletic Commission sanctioning slap fights now. Dana White has talked about a little bit in an in interview with jose young's over at mma fighting we're gonna break down this is a good move or bad move for dana white especially compared to something like contender series and other things the ufc has ventured into in the past with that in mind timestamps at the bottom as always uh, obviously not in my normal place thanks to flooding my house hopefully the audio is good uh, but let's go ahead and dive right in all right, first thing we're going to talk about today is an email that went out from UFC Chief Business Officer Hunter Campbell in regards to a change to the athlete code of conduct around gambling. Uh, so this is from MMA Junkie, who acquired a copy of the email. Uh, it's to all athletes and managers, we are writing to advise you of a change in the UFC athlete conduct policy to which each UFC athlete subscribes under our promotion agreement and or ancillary rights agreement. Uh, in the, the highlighted part here is in light of clear direction that we have received from regulators responsible for the regulated sports betting industry in the U S we are compelled at this time to recognize in the UFC athlete conduct policy, certain restrictions relating to wagering by our athletes, uh, goes on to say, Oh, athletes, members, or their teams and certain others in order to assist our athletes in understanding their obligation to the laws, uh, UFC has incorporated a wagering prohibition into the UFC athlete conduct policy, expressly prohibiting athletes from wagering on any UFC match. Uh, does not prohibit UFC athletes from entering into sponsorship agreements with sporting betting companies, but um, essentially makes this change so that, again, athletes, members of their teams, uh, I believe certain family members, those that would be considered to have insider information are not allowed to bet on UFC fights. Now, this is big because if you've been following this podcast for a while and you've been on MMA Twitter, you've seen some of these fighters, you know, basically talking about how they're going to bet certain things. Uh, James Krause is a huge one, right? Where you had that whole story about him going through and, you know, essentially creating like a, uh, I don't even know what you want to call it. Like a, a, better uh better sign up right that you'll see sometimes where it's like hey pay this amount of money for picks or pay this amount of money and then this guy will managing bet manage bets for you and get you a certain return 
et cetera, et cetera. And that was interesting because you had a not so much active fighter anymore in Krauss, but a known coach and corner man uh, with multiple athletes in the UFC doing this seemed a little in. Eh. Uh, you also had Justin Janes famously who bet his whole paycheck on himself and then lost, I believe a split decision. Um, but that one was a little bit more, I don't know if I want to say innocent, but a little bit oh, more above board. Cause Hey, I'm just betting on myself to win still. There has been a lot of coaches, athletes that have been involved in betting on fights with either their own fights, uh, their fighters, bouts, what have you. And it's been a little shady, right? Or seemed that way. We don't know exactly what has been above board, what hasn't. Um, there haven't been any allegations of fixed fights or anything like that, but it doesn't look great, right? It's, it's not a good perception, especially to regulators. And that's probably why this email came out now. Um, Endeavor just recently, parent company of the UFC, just recently finished um, buying out MGM Arena, or i sorry, uh, IMG Arena and all of that as well. Um, the sports betting platform kind of finishing that deal. That is important here because when your parent company owns a sports betting platform, it comes with a whole new list of restrictions and regulations um, per state, right? I mean, federal, but also per state, especially in the new world of sports betting that's been so legalized in the past, you know, three or four years since the pandemic. Um, well, pri right prior to pandemic, right? And then during the pandemic where it became very popular, it's really changed the landscape of all of this. Um, regulators are going to be on the lookout specifically for any type of fraud, uh, any type of illegal, you know, fixed fighting type issues uh, or fixed events. It's not just limited to MMA, right? Um, but anything that seems suspicious, regulators are going to come down hard on. It only makes sense given how new all of the stuff is and the potential for abuse. Lawmakers are going to really be reining things in with certain restrictions to make sure that passing these new laws that allow sports betting don't blow up in their face because it's a huge amount of revenue for the state, right? And all it takes is one organization to do something like fixed fights or fixed, you know, ball games or what have you. And I'm, I'm talking about like a, a not necessarily a national sport league level, right? Like I, that stuff's not going to happen in the NBA, MLB, et cetera. But in, in something like MMA, which is as unregulated in many ways, <laughs> given connections to certain people on athletic commissions and things, that's something that could really blow up in their face, right? Like imagine you had a championship fight and later comes out that, okay, it's not a straight, like throw this fight, but it's a, you know what? Don't go for a finish until round three or beyond. It's a title fight. Make sure it's round three or beyond, you know, hurt him, get him down. Great. But just make sure you, you don't actually go for the finish. If you can avoid it. Let's say that information comes out that a coach told a fighter to do that. And a fighter actually executed with this. And again, this is a hypothetical scenario. That's I'm not saying is anywhere near, happening or anything like that 
but if that got out, that now causes a scandal that would send shockwaves through the industry, but also have repercussions for legalized sports betting because those that oppose legalized sports betting for so long, right? A huge part of it was it's, you know, degenerate thing to do. It goes against our morals. It's shady, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that gives the mammal. It's, it's a ripple effect with Endeavor now owning and and finishing that purchase of a sports betting platform to help build out the IMG arena, uh, sports bets and and really streamline a lot of betting for or betting for fights. It puts a giant target on their back for regulators. If anything is amiss, it's a problem. And as we know, Endeavor is in good shape given the UFC's earnings, but the UFC is the crown jewel. If the UFC gets hit with something like this, anything that causes a scandal in this regard, even if it works out, if there's just rumors, right, that can lead to huge repercussions for investors getting spooked, their overall stock price. Not a good time. And interest rates are still going up, given inflation is still high. You want to make sure you're covered here for your endeavor. You want to make sure that the UFC is covered, that Endeavor is covered, that individual athletes, okay, if they they mess up here, great, that's fine, but you've got to cover your ass as a business, and that's what this is. I think it is not shocking at all that this change came out a couple of weeks, I believe, like three, two or three um, weeks after the deal was finalized with Endeavor acquiring that platform. I think that makes a lot of sense. And no, right, the athlete conduct policy is something that is not exactly enforced at a high level in the UFC, right? Uh, this is this is part of the, you know, conduct policy that talks about, uh, you know, just like, you know, making sure you hold yourself in high regards, all these things. It's it's very much a like this is an outline of how you should act and how we'd like you to act. And we have this in place again to cover our ass. But you agree to sign it. So if you break this rule and it actually blows up in our face, well, here's a reason to cut you or or absolve us of all issues. Um, But, you know, UFC won't necessarily go out and and talk to James Krause and be like, hey, dude, you can't do this anymore. They may if he's becoming, you know, uh, a big enough target. And they may have to say, okay, now, like, look, stop. Uh, but this is much more a like, hey, here's a warning to you guys that state regulators have told us we need to have you guys sign this amendment. So it's coming from us that you agree not to do this. If you do it and you get caught, that's on you. You absolve us of all wrongdoing, blah, blah, blah. UFC is not going down for this. You as an individual are. That's what this whole thing is about. I've seen some people say like, oh, it's, you know, they're finally getting their act together. They're cleaning up this. No, this is a business cover your ass move. This is regulators have said, hey, you know, make sure you do this. And especially when you've got something as open as, you know, James Krause's whole text circle uh, circulating through MMA Twitter uh, and, you know, other athletes talking about betting on their own fights or betting on people. It you, You've got to you've got to. Sh- Lock that up real quick. That's what they're doing here. It is purely a cover your butt move. 
Um, will we ever see the UFC enforce this? I think in very certain situations we may, mostly if there's ever any allegations, um, a fighter, again, doing what I talked about, you know, something comes out where, oh, they specifically seem to go for a finish in round three, four or five and, and round one or two, maybe not so much. I mean, unlikely a champ's going to do that to risk stuff. Right. But like a newer guy who's in a main event, maybe, or, or let's say it's a three round fight and it's a, um, you know, go the, go the distance. They expect it to be a barn burner. You know, odds are good. If you go to decision, maybe they purposely kind of, you know, pull back from finishing who knows, right? It's hard to say. Um, it's a possibility. Generally at that level, you don't see it as much, but again, you, you never know here. And if a fighter does that and that scandal comes out, I think the UFC will cut them immediately. We'll go to the regulators and be like, look, they broke our code of conduct. It's not on us. Here's an investigation, quote unquote. Who knows? There's probably going to be a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes that says like, look, we have released said fighter. It's on them. And, and they'll dot all their I's, cross all their T's, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure that they're protected. But I doubt this is going to be a major thing, right? How many fighters are actually doing this? I don't know. How many would risk, um, you know, getting cut to do this? I don't know that many. Uh, I think coaches and team members maybe get more in more trouble and might get banned by state regulators. Um, less than the UFC, but then obviously that would apply, right? If you're, if you're caught, you know, bidding on your fighters fights, uh, you're probably banned from being licensed as a cornerman or coach in that particular state or that particular area. And the UFC will probably take that and then enforce that at a higher level just to make sure that they're safe, because this is all about protecting endeavor. That's really where this rolls up to notice the UFC did not care about this until that deal went through. Right. And now there's a little bit more of a reason for these regulators to have more scrutiny on Endeavor in the UFC, because before, yes, of course you could always look at that, what have you, but, um, it'd be again, individuals clearly going after things, et cetera. Now you've got, well, now you've got an entire sports betting platform where you can set odds, where you're taking a ton of money in because you're the booker, right? That changes the game quite a bit. So that's what this really is. Um, let me know if you guys have any more questions on it. I can dig a little bit deeper into how the regulatory agencies work and, you know, what, an actual scenario would look like if somebody was caught cheating or, you know, what that investigate, I could, I can go down this if you want, but I didn't want to go too far down that rabbit hole unless you guys want it. So let me know in the comments, if you'd like to hear more about this or DM me. Um, but yeah, make no mistake. This is a CYA. This is not a clean up your act. This is not a, uh, we need good PR ethics standards. No, this is a CYA for the UFC. And that is it. All right, next up, we have to talk about uh, the official announcement that UFC and Meta are working together. So if you guys watched the last podcast, I told you that that was what I was pretty sure was going on uh, with closing out the event between 
uh, Yan Zhaonan and Mackenzie Dern that wasn't really so much of like, oh, it's just, you know, Facebook as much as it was like testing out some things. I think this is confirmation of that personally. Uh, in a statement to Insider, uh, the UFC said it's broadcast arm. UFC Fight Pass will deliver MMA events, quote, in VR and Meta Horizons Worlds, an immersive social experience app available on the MetaQuest 2 headset. Uh, fans will enter an immersive environment in Meta Horizons Worlds where they can see and speak with other fans in real time while enjoying unprecedented VR views of all the thrilling action in the LFA Octagon, because it was announced for LFA 144, including strikes, takedowns, grapplings, and more, etc. Uh, this article, which comes from Yahoo, says it is unclear which MMA organizations and what events will receive the virtual reality treatment going forward. However, UFC Fight Pass, quote, plans to offer similar experiences around select combat sports events in the future. So this, again, was a big, big part of why I believed Zuckerberg was there and had rented out, uh, you know, the UFC Apex for that fight night. And it's interesting, but unsurprising that they're going with LFA to start, right? Um, if you've seen some of the clips, I know Kaposa on Twitter had some uh, great screen gra grabs and I think even some uh, clips where you could see him in the metaverse to have an idea of what it looks like. Um, talk to a couple people that were actually just watching the fights in there. Uh, they said, you know, you could experience talking with people. It's, it's you know, it's a different type of experience. Um, the reaction that I heard from a lot of people was that it's cool, but I'm not going to necessarily watch fights like this normally. Um, and, and I think that speaks again to the viability of this, right? When you look at what's out there for the clips and, you know, if you talk to people who experienced this metaverse stuff, it's not bad. It definitely makes you feel cage side in a way, right? And you can change your camera angle, all of that. But it's not as good from what I heard talking with everyone. It's not as good as just watching it at home, right? The normal UFC broadcasts and Fight Pass crew have it down to a science generally in terms of which camera angles to go to, which you know size to do. If somebody's grappling on the left side of the cage, right, you're going to get a camera angle that shows usually from the top or... Uh, maybe the side of the cage if you're looking through the cage type of view, but they'll go back and forth. They have someone running the show in the background in production. Now, the interesting thing with Fight Pass is, is we know in talking with LFA some time ago when they switched over to Fight Pass um, from Access TV is that Fight Pass generally seems to at least made it up. LFA did this, but I've also heard it from other organizations where you kind of have to do your own production. So that kind of ups the amount of, internal costs you have uh, and, and how you, you got to run things a certain way through guidelines, but you're producing the actual event rather than, oh, okay, your broadcast partner is handling all of the cameramen, camera crews running it in the back, all that stuff. And so depending on the organization, this might be great, right? If you've got a bare bones type um, regional MMA organization or grappling or some combat sport out there that isn't quite, you know, how do I want to say this? A combat sport out there where 
maybe they're a bigger name, but they don't necessarily have the production standards you would love. This could be a better alternative because one would assume this is going to start being rolled out to the majority of regional MMA promotions and other fight pass events that happen. Um, it adds a new level to fight pass. And that's really, I think where initially you're going to get, you know, customer adoption in this where, okay, if you don't have great camera angles, if you don't have the best TV production, um, this is going to be a better or equal art alternative for something like the UFC though. That's where it becomes much harder to sell. It, it's a radically different way of consuming content. Um, from what I've heard, a lot of the VR headsets have like two hour battery life. So if you did this for a UFC event, which is typically like six hours long, you're not going to be able to watch the whole thing in VR. Um, and, and a lot of people are assuming, oh, okay, they're doing LFA first. So they're going to jump straight into the UFC. No, I don't think that's how this will go. I think you're going to see LFA. You're going to see some other fight pass organizations. I think the UFC is getting money for that. And again, is helping to produce this stuff now, especially the VR side. Um, but I think it'll be a long time before you see the UFC actually do an event unless they again, want to do a, a Zhao Nan Dern fight card. If they want to put that in the metaverse right away, I could see that being done sooner rather than later, but one would assume they will work out the kinks and they'll use LFA and some of these regional people as kind of a early, early testers group, right? Early adoption. Uh, early beta testing so they can work out extra kinks. I know at one point uh, the LFA stream crashed in VR. So like everything went black, but people could hear each other. Like they've got to work that stuff out, make that cleaner. Um, why did this come about? Again, as I mentioned last time, Meta's stock is in a tailspin. Um, Zuckerberg's seeming, <laughs> seemingly obsessed with the metaverse and internally, uh, it's not looking great. I think an article for Business Insider came out this week that said, you know, will Zuckerberg's uh, employees be able to, to convince him to stop this, you know, foolhardy quest? I forgot what the headline is. Essentially, it's saying, like, will somebody be able to convince Mark Zuckerberg to drop the metaverse before it's too late and meta is just completely destroyed? Um, I mean, their stock is, is in real rough shape. And mind you, yes, the stock market has been rocky lately, but they're already in a, a pretty bad way. Um, 60 some percent down on the year. And at least as of this recording, you know, they're either 25 percent down from five years ago. That's not that's not a good time. <laughs> um, obviously, if you bought back in like 2013 or whatever it is, you're still, you know, doing great on a ROI. But if you bought meta stock in the past five years and you've held it, you've actually lost money. That seems unfathomable given where meta stock went during the pandemic, right? Um, to lose that much value that quickly is a problem. And a lot of it seems to be focused on, we've got to spend all this money on the metaverse and it's, it's still not where it needs to be to reel people in. There is potential. I think, um, and, and UFC president Dana White has talked about, you know, uh, that they've wanted to be involved in this for some time. Uh, back in January, they mentioned that they've been working on metaverse fights. 
from a UFC perspective, it adds another, you know, product in some ways to their repertoire and they're getting paid for this, right? Um, it, it is not the UFC is paying meta to host these in the metaverse. It, it is the other way around. It is it essentially meta saying, at least from what I've heard, I, I can't, I guess I can't a hundred percent confirm that, but that is what I've heard. And that would make the most sense. Um, meta is using this m- much more as a marketing tool, right? Is you s- get people to want to be in the metaverse and experience this, then they buy these $1,500 headsets. Cause that's how much the, the new meta quest two headset costs. And then they get into the metaverse and mind you again in the metaverse you've got ads just all over the place and a whole bunch of ad space that new um you know companies can can buy up and it's a constant advertising stream because it's like a billboard in their face right as you go from camera angle to camera angle here's a new you know ad here's this as you walk through the uh the little hallway to get to the fights ads on all your i mean that's what this is um and so the UFC obviously is going to take that money and meta wants to market. This thing is dead set on making this happen. Going after a popular product like the UFC now makes all the sense in the world. As I mentioned last time on the podcast, but this partnership and the fact they're rolling it out with LFA again, I think is kind of testing the waters. And this is something you'll see huge corporations do all the time, right? They'll do a, um, Taco Bell will do a Taco Bell cantina where you can actually buy alcohol, but they'll, they'll roll it out to like five or six stores to try it out. Uh, breakfast, same thing, right? When they Taco Bell did their whole breakfast meal, they rolled it out to like four or five stores at first to like, see what consumer appetite was. Those larger conglomerates have the money and time to do that. And then they study the results and they say, okay, is this worth it? Yes or no. McDonald's did it with all day breakfast. Uh, I mean, I, you could, the list goes on and on with, oh, we're going to try this out. Um, Amazon's doing it. I'm pretty sure currently with the drone delivery, right? Where everything's being delivered by drone right now in certain cities. This is that type of beta rollout. This is, hey, we're going to we're going to have LFA, a well-known feeder league to the UFC, uh, host these VR events. We're going to see how many people again, log in and use the service. We're going to see what the advertisers think when they see the numbers. We're going to see what we can do to kind of, you know, get people to push to go watch these events. Uh, I would not be shocked if especially you have a grappling uh, league or a some type of MMA league where it's meta verse exclusive, but they're going to do that on the lower level first, right? And then providing that's all good and that gives the numbers they want, then they might look to start co-hosting, especially Apex fights in the metaverse. Because if you try and buy an Apex fight ticket now, it's expensive, right? It's basically through their VIP service, which you can do for larger pay-per-views uh, on location, right? And all that stuff. But it's you can't just get a ticket for the Apex. So that's probably the event that that they'll target. It is, you know, an Apex event that is a bigger fight night card, maybe even a pay-per-view if they really want to go that route. And then, you know, you want to see like upfront cage side, you want to get, you know, special deals, all this. I'm sure they'll find ways to tie it in. But first, you've got to get past this preliminary test stage. That's what this is all about. Um, 
And, and the UFC is just getting paid to do this. So why not? Why would you say no to this? This is a win-win for the UFC. Uh, if it goes well, great. They now have a new giant partner that will give them probably one of the biggest sponsorship revenue streams of all time. Um, Dana White said in his interview with Jose Youngs, uh, he want, UFC likes to be first. That's their thing. They want to be the first back in the pandemic. They want to be the first to do something like the Apex. They want to be first. This is their chance where if the metaverse takes off, they're going to be the first sport in the metaverse. They're going to have first rights to hosting fights in the metaverse and all of that. You know, if it becomes this huge thing that Zuckerberg envisions, we're going to have NBA games and football, all the like UFC is going to be number one in terms of being there first. Maybe not one overall, right? Compared to like NBA courtside views, et cetera. But you get what I'm saying. Um, this allows them to do that. And they're almost certainly getting paid for this. They're not putting up their own money. The, the only thing they're doing is they're losing revenue from the Dern Zhao Nan card. They're probably paying some workers, right, to do help with testing and do their stuff. There's probably a couple of, of upstart costs of this, but it's almost certainly being outweighed by the money they're getting from Meta to allow them to do this. I'm I'm pretty sure that's the case. So why not do this? Why in the do this? And if it doesn't take off, well, it failed. It's a gimmick. It doesn't hurt the UFC, right? It doesn't hurt the UFC at all. They're just going to keep doing what they do. So, again, I think this partnership makes a lot of sense um, from the UFC perspective. Meta, it's kind of a gamble, depending on how much they're paying the UFC, et cetera. But it's a win-win for the UFC side. and you're going to see a lot more events on fight pass first. Will we get to a UFC event? Depends on how those fight pass events do. If no one's going to the LFA VR cards, if nobody's going to any of the grappling cards, et cetera, no, they're not going to, they're not going to move to an actual UFC event, but we'll see. We'll see how it all does. See, see if it's worth it or not. Let me know in the comments, if you've actually done you know, the VR watch for LFA 144. Uh, let me know your thoughts on if you're interested in this, right? If you're excited about this type of thing, if you don't care, love to get your guys' perspective because it's kind of a big question mark right now as to whether or not this is going to take off. A lot of people are saying no. Um, I'm leading that camp, honestly. Let me know your thoughts with all this because it's, it's, a, it's a big deal, especially with how much it's been hyped up. If this fails, if the metaverse fails, whew, the whole thing. But let me know if, if you would watch fights in the metaverse and if you want to. Because curious to see your guys' thoughts and reactions on this. All right, next we have our quick hit section. Uh, first up, you've got Crypto.com woes. Uh, so a lot of articles out there saying Crypto.com is in big trouble, uh, that they've had multiple rounds of layoffs, which is true, but that some are far larger than they originally stated. Uh, you've got conflicting reports on this. Originally, you had something uh, along the lines of 40% of their staff were laid off. Now, Crypto.com is kind of refuting that. But either way, any any way you look at it, if you look at the signs and you look at the financials and what they're doing, Crypto.com is definitely in trouble. Um, definitely going through a bad, bad time here. So in terms of what that means for the 
crypto bonus, right, for the UFC. I believe they've suspended that to, quote, work out the kinks or something of that nature. And then there's the $175 million deal sponsorship with the UFC uh, for being on the jerseys and all that fun stuff. Um, that could go away, right? If, if crypto.com goes bankrupt, which is a possibility here, uh, then the UFC will have to get in line with the rest of its creditors and figure out when the money is all said and done, divided up, who gets what. Um, it's unlikely the UFC, depending on the amount of debt Crypto.com has, has taken on, they're probably not a preferred creditor, which means it's unlikely they'll get a lot of their money or it may take a long time. UFC, crypto.com could do one of these bankruptcies too, right, where they go through bankruptcy and then kind of re form we've seen this a lot lately toys r us uh, a couple a couple of other places that oh we went bankrupt and then like we you know restructured and then a year later we're back with our name but it's actually under different ownership and etc you know either way uh ufc could end up losing out on that sponsorship money that would not be great for the ufc but it also wouldn't kill them right um it's a big sponsorship deal it's given them a fair amount of money and was a a big signing at the time but how much it's going to actually hurt the ufc revenue it's hard to say if let's say crypto.com goes bankrupt tomorrow investors might get a little rattled at that and their revenue might be might it would definitely hurt the ufc and endeavor producing you know the best year the ufc's ever had right to one-up themselves again but it's still not going to cause any, you know, mass layoffs or any huge doubt. It's it's a big deal, but it's not the end of the world. And the UFC and Endeavor can find other sponsors. I obviously just talked about Meta uh, bringing in money. My guess is that's going to end up being pretty huge from an investor perception standpoint. That's more of an established company, even though that's in a tailspin still. Uh, probably gives them a little bit more confidence. They won't run, so to speak. So, We'll see what happens here. Uh, we'll see if crypto.com can recover, if they're still going to be able to pay some of these obligations, et cetera, but not looking too great uh, for the UFC's first official Jersey sponsor. Uh, next, we've got the M and M law firm uh, becoming a sponsor for the UFC, which is a local Miami law firm um, for the December 3rd Orlando event. This is an interesting one because, you know, this is something where, it's an area the UFC hasn't really expanded into yet, but it shows that if you're willing to pony up the money, the UFC will gladly take it and put it somewhere in the octagon or on the website or what have you, right? Battle Motors is still officially sponsoring the light heavyweight rankings. I mean, it's it's just kind of a what? Like no other rankings is sponsored except for light heavyweights, Battle Motors, which just is weird. But again. It's another example of the UFC finding new in inventive ways to reach areas and products and industries they probably aren't a natural fit for, right? Um, this one makes a ton of sense where you have a giant law firm in a major city who, you know, I believe they're now saying in the announcement of the partnership, like, well, we'll fight for you and be champion, whatever. Great. Yeah. Makes sense to have a law firm be sponsored. Uh in the UFC and, and become your partner. Sure. I, I get it. That that falls a little bit more in line with, you know, some of the alcohol sponsorships and things like that. But 
but it's still kind of funny, right? It still kind of comes out of left field a little bit. Um, I don't think a lot of us were expecting that a law firm would be like, okay, you're involved here. Uh, but just because, you know, you're generally not going to see national law firms, large things, right? And it's a whole thing. So I don't know. It, it, it cracks me up. It makes sense. But it, again, shows that there is an appetite out there for multiple different industries and services that the UFC can leverage for sponsorship. We just talked about crypto, how that deal might might go away. UFC's got plenty of other avenues. Clearly, they're, they're, clearly they're doing a fantastic job uh, finding new sponsorship and revenue streams. So don't have to worry about that. But yeah, it's, it's a thing. Uh, and lastly, we've got PFL moving to DAZN in an international market. So this was just announced that pretty much in almost all international markets outside the US, not all of them, but most, you're going to have PFL now on DAZN. I think this makes sense uh, in a lot of ways, right? DAZN kind of failed to to take on the US market in combat sports as they had hoped. Uh, really, again, their whole strategy was get a foothold with some niche sports and end up bidding for the big rights to soccer, baseball, whatever. Obviously, they didn't get those rights, and and it's not panning out how they hoped, um, especially with billionaire, forget his name, uh, but the, the billionaire backer of his own wanting to be out, right, and and kind of them struggling a little bit, their boxing struggles. It's It's been a thing. So this, on the other hand, with the zones international reach, which they do have a lot of international sports that they've locked up in other markets. This is a good combat sports lockup where I think it will a help PFL grow quite a bit because you've got a lot of people that already pay for the zone for other reasons outside of the U S so great. That works. And then B you've got the, I guess the perception that, okay, we're still in this market. We're still adding things on the DAZN side. Um, It's one of those situations where when a business loses in a big push to either enter a new market or, you know, launch a new product or service, what have you coming back and getting a win to prove, nope, we're still around. Like this hasn't crumpled us or whatever to investors, to insiders, to your own staff is sometimes important. This is an area that they're familiar with between having KSW for a while and then Bellator. Uh, It's something that they can easily put into their programming and most of their consumers are, are going to understand why it's there, right? Given the previous products that it's, it's had on the platform before, and it's going to help kind of, show, hey, no, we're still around. We're still making moves. This didn't go the way we planned, but, you know, we're we're doing other things. We'll come back to that, right? And they'll never say this didn't go the way we planned. They'll say it wasn't an attractive opportunity or, uh, you know, we decided to go in a different direction or pivot because of et cetera, et cetera. You know, classic business talk. But I think it's a good deal for both ends, um, depending on how much, again, they're paying for it on the design side. But it's a good move for PFL because it consolidates fell into mostly one app uh, for major international markets and probably will expand its audience a little bit more. So 
that's not a bad thing considering what uh, Ari Emanuel said, right, in regards to 90% of the UFC viewership is international. That's huge, right? If PFL can start to get some more combat sports fans in other countries on their product, that could help elevate them, not just internationally, but also in the U.S. If they're able to start getting good income coming from there, that's going to be more attractive to investors. It's going to help them get better TV deals, et cetera, et cetera. Especially with their new pay-per-view division, could be a big move. So we'll see where it goes. But yeah, those were the quick hits for this episode. Let me know if I missed anything. Um, let me know your thoughts on any of these. All kind of interesting moves here. It's a lot, a lot going on on the business side of MMA these days. All right, last but not least, we have to talk about Dana White's slap fighting um, league thing. I don't even remember what the actual name of this is. Uh, Let me look it up real quick. But uh, Dana White's power slap league. That's it. (laughs) So uh, the Nevada Athletic Commission approved this. Like it went to them, right, to be approved as a, a sanctioned sport. Uh, Dana White confirmed in an interview with Jose Young's that yes, this is happening. It will be sanctioned just like MMA fights, all this, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's gotten some backlash. Um, some people are a little excited. Others are not. A lot of people are speculating. That's what Hasbullah is going to end up competing in. Right. Um, since this will almost certainly be a subsidiary of the UFC, just like Dana White's contender series is. Oh, UFC signs Hasbulla, and then he ends up fighting in the UFC, AKA slap fighting league. Right. So, but a lot of people have been talking about brain damage and all this stuff. Cause obviously this is just giant, you know, straight slaps to the face, uh, unprotected slaps to the face and, and slap fighting has gained a bit in popularity right uh we've seen more and more clips of slap fighting uh, we've seen arnold schwarzenegger at some slap fighting stuff uh jason burgos who i worked with at sure dog and who does some great work over at sports not uh he has done some commentary for slap fighting um i mean, I mean it's a thing right it's around and it's it's not just a shot in the dark there's some proven proven business models here so I mean, you had it in the uh, in Triller did it right with with the Ric Flair. Yeah. And that whole thing. It's enough of a fad right now. It's catching on. People are rolling with it. The real question becomes in this good deal, bad deal segment. uh, Is it worth it? If it is a fad, right? That's really where this boils down to in terms of whether this is a good deal or a bad deal for Dana White. If it's a fad then you are spending money promoting it. You're going to end up signing people. It's going to be a whole thing and it will probably last a couple of years and then we'll peter out. Right. Um, maybe, maybe not even a couple of years because it's been around for a bit and it's not MMA. It's not normal combat sports, you know, but who knows? It's, it's hard to say with this. Um, if it's not a fad, well then you are the first major league stepping into this. Um, at least with the visibility and brand of the UFC. So you're going to capitalize on it. You're going to pretty much own it just like you do in the MMA space. And uh, you're, you're going to get the best rewards, right? There's nothing stopping the UFC from entering this market, claiming it as its own 
and pretty much putting uh, the other leagues out of business and making it hard for others to enter the market. There's nothing right now that is standing in the way of that. Um, it's not something where, you know, top slap fighters are well known. The niche sport audience is so high that like, you can't just say you're going to start a league and somebody's going to be like, no, this guy from, you know, so-and-so place is the top slap fighter in the league. And these are all the top 10 guys. Like here are the rankings. And that's at least as far as I know, that's not out there. If it is, it's under the radar enough that you're not going to piss off so many people by doing this. You're going to, you know, end up losing and splitting people with a competitor, right? Which is, is really the only way somebody challenges the UFC in doing this, given their immense vault, uh, of money to, to throw at this if they want. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. Now that all being said, a caveat to this that leans this towards a good deal regardless is this will be a huge test of the UFC brand and its power. And what I mean by that is this, right? Um, as a company grows, this always happens with hyper growth companies and the UFC is hyper growth. I would say they're, they're hitting that maturity level now out of the 2010, 2011s, you know, shot up out of nowhere phase where they were in the whole turn to profit with the ultimate fighter and then just blew up. Right. Uh, but they've been on this hyper growth train for a long, long time. And as that happens with companies, when you get into year five through 10 through 15, et cetera, in this case, it's 25 for the UFC, but you know, it's, it's hard because those first years were just one tournament a year. Um, and, and so the earlier years, it was kind of hard. It was, it was almost a different business model, right? It really was. It was just, yeah, we're going to have one single tournament once a year. Um, and that's going to be our thing. But again, this all being said, They've experienced these hyper growth tendencies for a while now. They've been bought by Endeavor. They're making money hand over fist. When that happens, companies almost always tend to overextend themselves and really find their limits, right? They go into markets or areas where they're not really that well known, or maybe they think they've got a great idea and they can, you know, enter that market and they're basically saying, look, we've got the brand and the name recognition and the marketing power of our core product and service. And we will go into this new market and dominate because we're that big name. So people are going to say like, oh, like UFC has gone into, I don't know. I mean, actually a perfect example, right? Dana White's going to do Effort Fridays on the, they talked about a food network channel or something or food network show. Okay, great. We're going to do Effort Fridays and it's going to be Dana White's and it's his name. And because it's his name, people are going to tune in and watch. And it's going to be like, Oh, great. Yeah. We eating weird stuff has nothing to do with combat sports, right? That is a completely different product that you're selling people, but you're utilizing that name brand recognition to get out there and do it. Um, the UFC PI it's it's adjacent right but you've essentially like hey like we're setting up this giant or ufc gyms right 
okay, yeah, we'll teach you MMA, even though like, yes, some fighters own the gyms and actually train there. Um, but most fighters own the gyms uh, and, and maybe make an appearance or two. And then it's run by some other people or it's just like a franchise that other people just bought into. Right. And it's just, oh, it's UFC. And it's not, you know, they pay a franchisee fee. They have to use all their branding or whatever, but it's it's not you're not getting trained by UFC fighters and coaches generally. That's at least adjacent. Uh F Fridays is really just in its whole own realm of things. But that's that's something that companies tend to do, right? These giant companies tend to just go into areas where it's like, well, doesn't make sense that a phone company is going into this, but okay, they're going to try because why not? Because they're that big. Um, you could argue that's a huge thing with the metaverse and right. A social media company going into a virtual reality world. Well, okay, sure, I guess. <laughs> um, and sometimes those work and sometimes they don't. Right. And I mean, Blixer, the, the official UFC jewelry is exactly, I, I cannot imagine that that's made them a ton of money, but maybe it has, who knows? But they're basically just testing out the brand. What can the brand itself buy in these different areas? It, it's a kind of a throw spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks approach. And I've seen, it happens in a lot of companies, right? I've, I've seen, I've worked for companies where our product was one thing, we got a huge client or two that gave us a big influx of money. Uh, the market conditions were perfect where we just ramped up, ramped up, ramped up. And suddenly we're doing, you know, uh, security fraud stuff and, and identity theft things. And now we're trying to do, go over here and do, uh, you know, preventative services uh, that, that don't really even make sense in some ways um, or, or health stuff. That's like, okay, well we'll do security health things. Like, well, we don't really know. Well, okay. Um, you know, I've seen that happen. I I've seen, I've worked for companies where you're like, wait, that company, you don't even realize that they're a subsidiary beyond subsidiaries. So they don't even use their big name sometimes. Cause you want to hide the big name because it can actually hurt you. But they're just testing stuff out and seeing like, yeah, we've got these processes in place. We're just going to throw it at the wall. In this case, this is a, we're going to use our name, Dana White, to see what we can do. I'm popular enough. Let's see if we can get people to watch slap fighting. That's what this whole thing is. And it may fail, fail, fall on its face. It may work, may, may take off and it may be modest. Maybe like, okay, this is all right, but whatever. Either way, you're going to find out the limits of the quote unquote Dana White brand, right? That's, that's what this is. So in some ways it's a good deal because I can't imagine there's a ton of startup costs involved with this. If you are correct that this becomes a thing, you now have a second uh, monospony style business you can run where you can run it your way, make a majority of the revenue, and it only helps you out. Um, and if you're wrong, okay, you've, you've spent some money, you've lost it, it hasn't, you know, worked the way you want. But I mean, you're, you're not talking about, I doubt these slap fighting guys are getting paid anywhere near what UFC guys are getting paid, right? At least not initially. And what do you need to set this up? You don't need a giant ring. You don't need a bunch of cameras. I mean, you'll have, what, two, three cameras maybe? Um, 
you don't need it, it's low production cost and there's so little risk in this why not right it's only going to look dumb if it ends up being a really dumb fad or like nobody watches it and then they get rid of it and they'll just say ah oh, it didn't work and it's it's not going to hurt your reputation that much so for those reasons i'm calling this a good deal this is a low cost low barrier to entry sport that has a high ceiling tests your brand name and in a worst case scenario it is such a you know small drop in the ocean of the revenue that you're you're bringing in right now um there's almost no reason not to try this if you think it's a solid idea even if you're just like let's take advantage of this fad if you're able to take advantage of the fad to even just break even uh there you go i know i said even a lot there but you get what i'm saying so i'm gonna say good deal on this let me know your thoughts are you going to watch slap fighting? Do you think it's a good deal? I I'm curious because to me, low risk, kind of high reward given the popularity of slap fighting in the moment um, and seeing some celebrities get involved, right? Why not? Why not roll the dice? Give it a shot. I'm sure Dana White will lose more at the blackjack table than he'll ever spend on the slap fighting league. So why not? Is it really that big a deal? I, I think the only way, and I will end on this, the only way this comes back and really bites Dana and the UFC by proxy is that we have seen slap fighters die. Where they get hit, they get knocked out, they fall. It's a problem. Um, it's rare, right? But... If that happens, right, if you do a Dana White slap fight and then somebody dies, then you're in trouble. Then that's a bunch of negative PR. That's a bunch of re-examination of safety standards. You're a publicly traded company. Um, it will hurt your stock probably for Endeavor, right? Then it becomes kind of a bigger deal. That's the only way I think this really blows back is if somebody gets seriously injured or dies. But we'll see. We will see what happens here. The fact that they're getting Nevada Athletic Commission approval helps buffer them, just like if somebody were to die in MMA. But it's going to be interesting if that happens. Uh, I hope it doesn't happen. I really hope we never have to talk about that. But that's the real big risk in the room for this business. Everything else. And, and the probability of that, I'm going to say, is on the lower side. I don't know enough about slap fighting. I mean, it is just, you know, getting hit in the face really hard. That's not great for your brain uh, and, and for the possibility of, of concussions and so on and so forth. But still, um, yeah, that's your only real, oof, this could actually come back to bite you. Otherwise, why not, why not try it? From a business perspective, I think it's lower enough risk that, yeah, you roll, you roll the dice. Let me know your thoughts on it. Let me know if you'll watch Slap Fighting. Very curious to see if you guys will. I'm not sure I will. I'm on the fence, honestly. Um, yeah, let me know what you think. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode of the Five Business Podcast. Appreciate you, uh, you know, being patient with me with all the stuff going on with my house and everything. Uh, hope this episode was informative to you. Again, let me know your thoughts on the meta partnership. If you're going to watch stuff in the metaverse, Slap Fighting for sure. 
definitely curious to hear you guys thoughts on that stuff uh but like subscribe bell notification if you're watching on youtube if you listen on stitcher apple spotify all that good stuff always appreciate any comments feedbacks uh you guys listening as well love you guys and with that in mind until next time get money